pouring from the dunes now. There's cars toppled, buildings entirely crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the irredeemable shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my Zimotic co-host, Rob Kelly from the Aquaman Shrine. It has to do with fermentation. I figured you got drunk in New York Comic Con. I see. Move on. Okay. All right. I was waiting for you to say how you doing. You usually say that. Okay. How you doing? That's fine. Uh, I'm doing just fine. I, I had all planned. I was ready to do this episode all by myself because uh, the shutdown is still happening. But uh, and and I even found a story in DC history is called Robot Man Fights Alone. So I was going to do Rob fights alone. I was going to be great, but you know we'll save that for another time. Yes. Now I do have a favor to ask of everyone listening to the podcast. Don't tell anyone I was here because I could lose my government contract. Right. Uh, this is very much on the down low. And uh, if you missed last episode, Rob did reveal uh, a, a much guarded secret we've had all these all these years on the show, which is yes, the government does pay me to do this podcast. <laughs> and with the shutdown, I had to be out last week. Uh, well, this time I just I kind of had enough. I was stir crazy, you know. I haven't worked in what two weeks, or whatever. So I'm snuck back to the show. So <laughs> shh, don't tell. Okay. So uh, right out of the gate here, folks, we are going to jump in and talk about our sponsors, In Stock Trades. By the way. I used in-stock trades this past week and ordered a massive ton of Legion of Superheroes graphic novels, which I'll talk more in depth about on our next Who's Who episode. But, dude, it massive and took advantage of the uh, discounts involved. It's right. good service. All right, so if you're not familiar with in-stock trades, it is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. And they are a sponsor of the Fire and Water podcast, and we sincerely appreciate that. And one of the deals you can get on in-stock trades right now is Blackest Night, the trade paperback. Uh, now this is the this is the trade that collects issues zero through eight of Blackest Night, which you know, as, as you know, this was massive, massive, massive book out of DC. I mean, it took control of their, their, of their whole line for almost a year. Because Jeff Johns, Ivan Reese, um, amazing series of amazing art, 
very powerful. I mean, there's a lot of it, it's very graphic. It's very gory. It's zombies in the in the DC universe, and some people weren't thrilled with it, but it did bring Firestorm and Aquaman back to life. So you got to give it credit for that. I personally like the series, not necessarily everything that came out of it, but there you go. And I do have a good reason for mentioning Blackest Night, as we'll get further into the episode. Anyway, you get that on, uh, normally goes for nineteen ninety nine. 304 pages with the magic 45% off discount. You can get it for $10.99. Amazing. What you got? Okay, uh, mine's completely out of, not even left field, it's like in the left parking lot or something. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> the Hey Kids Comics signing that I did at the New York Comic Con, I did it with uh, Paul Kupperberg, and Paul is working on a collected edition of the DC Jerry Lewis comic. For, for many of you too Whoa! yeah I know for many of you too young he's a huge fan of Jerry Lewis he's a huge huge fan of Jerry Lewis so um, for many of you too young to remember DC did in fact publish a an Adventures of Jerry Lewis comic book for like, <laughs> for like 15 years like it, right. like it like it ran to like issue 109 or something it was crazy and anyway he's working on with some other people a sort of like giant collected edition of the Jerry Lewis comics which I just thought sounded really fun I'd absolutely love to see that book and if, it, if they ever get it published, I will buy it. So uh, I got a question. Yes? Question is: Will it would it be through DC or some outside publisher? I mean, who owns the rights to Jerry Lewis? <laughs> they have to. Paul explains to me they have to have DC sign off and Jerry Lewis to sign off. But they have connections to, of course, they have connections to DC. But they have yep. connections to Jerry Lewis. Lady. So exactly. Now, I mean, I you know, I think this book is like like just in the planning stage. So you know, it's not like it's imminent or anything like that but it sounded fun and it's something that i would buy again if they put it out so i went to insuck trade just to see if there was anything involving jerry lewis <laughs> which uh not surprisingly there is not but i did find a book called lewis and clark which is a, <laughs> which is a graphic novel version of the lewis and clark story and the cover it's uh, the artist by nick bertazzi the cover looked really cool. It's a really, really sharp drawing of Lewis and Clark going over a waterfall in their canoe. So I went and did a little research, and I found some interior pages of the book. And it looks awesome. It's a black and white, you know, graphic novel version of their story. And I, you know, growing up, I used to love kind of true history comics. So this just looked really, really fun. So you can get it on in-stock trades. It's 144 pages. Uh, it's currently on sale for $12.74. It's 25% off, not 45 But $12.74 $12. for 144 pages, that's a really good deal. And it seems like the kind of thing that, like, you could, you know, if you read it, enjoyed it, you could hand it off to other people to read. Because it's, like, it's a true-life story of, like, real American heroes. So this has looked like a really cool comic uh, that I, uh, I, again, I'm saying right now, I have no idea whether it's any good or not. <laughs> I'm going to buy it myself from Inside Trades, <laughs> but... Uh, I think anybody who enjoys like true history comics will, will probably really like it. I think I just got a twenty-year-old joke. What? Lewis and Lewis and Clark, Lois and Clark. Oh, I okay. never, I, I never, never put that together. I never thought about that myself. Huh. All right, folks. Anyway, so that's in stock trades. You can find them at instocktrades.com. Again, the best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collective edition, all for up to forty-five percent off with free shipping of orders of fifty dollars or more. Again, thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate it. All right. We are going to jump in, Mr. Kelly, and you're going to tell us all about dun, 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 the New York Comic Con. Yeah, the, I mean, this episode is sort of our like little just geek talk episodes. We're going to be covering a bunch of sort of random topics. But yeah, I did the uh, New York Comic Con just on Friday. Um, I initially had tried to get in for the press with a press pass with Aquaman Shrine because that's how I got in previously. And the New York Comic Con this year said, <laughs> no, thank you. And then we also tried to get in as an exhibitor with Ace Kilroy, and they also said, no, thank you. 
So uh, we were, I was really left sort of high and dry because by the time I thought about buying a ticket, the tickets were sold out. So I was like, I may not be able to actually get into the show. Um, but luckily, two friends of mine, two fine artists, uh, uh, Bill Wolko and John Trumbull, had an extra badge and that they allowed me to use for the day, which was worked out perfectly. So I ended up going up on Friday, and I did a Hey Kids Comics book signing at the Captain Action booth. Captain Action is run by my friend Ed Caddo. He's one of the guys bringing Captain Action you know, back to prominence and stuff and he very graciously allowed me to take up an hour of his uh, boot space to do a signing which is very very generous of him to do so i did it with paul Kupperberg, and we sat and we had our books and we sold a bunch of copies now a bunch of fun people came by i'm going to go through a little brief list i know i'm going to leave somebody out so if you don't hear your name please don't get mad i, I always forget somebody but in terms of uh, match heads randy caldwell which is aka mr perturbed stopped by Woo! uh lucian desar also oh, what? No. carrying a bucket of shark. I didn't understand that. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and David Pascarella, who I'm not sure has ever written into the show, but he said he's been a longtime listener. He brought his daughter with him, which was very sweet. Uh, I've seen it. I've seen his name in the feedback. Have you? Okay. Well. Yeah. So, so he stopped by too, and they all bought copies of the book, which was really great. Um, some of the other essayists from the book also came by Kevin Dilmore, Paul Castaglia, who writes for Archie, and Sholly Fish. Sholly Fish, who wrote DC Super Friends, like pretty much every issue of that book. He uh, got hit by a car. He got hit by a car. I, I actually told him, I said, I'm glad to see you're doing okay now. He said, oh, yeah, I can cross the street by myself just fine at this point. So it was great. Um, <laughs> so we had a good time. Um, you know, Paul and I told some Talk to, he told me some more stories. Paul always has great stories. Two really, really, um, to use a shag word, hot uh, cosplayers came by. One dressed as Wonder Woman, one dressed as Supergirl. And Paul helpfully pointed out to them, hey, I used to edit Wonder Woman's book, and I wrote Supergirl. And they were like, oh! And so they made him take, they made him, <laughs> they uh, offered to take a picture with him. So there's a picture of him on his Facebook page of Paul, flanked by two incredibly gorgeous women dressed in superhero costumes. It's like, nice job, Copperberg. Nice job. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well played, sir. Well played. Um, and I like how you attribute me to the word hot. Like, I made that word up. Like like boob, like boob window. Yeah, both of those are mine. Exactly. You own them. You own them. I like to take credit for the word A. Just yeah. A okay. and Z. Those are mine as well. Okay. Um, I also talked to Patrick Willems, who is the guy behind the new web series Aquaman, the teen drama. Which is that, <laughs> that, that, that combination of Aquaman and uh, Gossip Girl. And it was kind of funny. He told me something interesting is that when the, when the trailer for Aquaman the Teen Drama first hit, people really assumed that it was like goofing on Aquaman, that it was just kind of going to be ripping on him. And I went and watched it, and I was like, I, I don't know. I didn't get that read from it. Like it, it's making it, – it, it is a light – I'm clearly by the setup. It's a goof because you're putting Aquaman and Mira and Ocean Man and you know, all these characters in this silly CW-type setup. But – I didn't get the read that it was like really making fun of Aquaman per se. And so I posted on the shrine and I said, you know, maybe we should give this a chance. And I actually talked to Patrick. We do a little interview and he explained to me, he's a big Aquaman fan. And it was, it was his, you know, Aquaman was in it from the beginning. It wasn't like he was like, Oh, I want, I want to make fun of some superhero. How can I do oh, Aquaman? will be fine. He, you know, so, um, he told me at the convention that a lot of the people on Twitter that were bashing, the show before you know, they really ever had a chance to see it changed their minds after the shrine sort of vouched for it, mm. which, which made me feel good. It was like, they trust us. 
that it's like, okay, you know, we would never, you know, we would never be like, oh, yeah, you should watch this thing if it really was just sort of like lazily ripping Aquaman a new one. And, and that's not clearly what Patrick's intention is. So I'm really looking forward to the series. It's going to play on Breaking um, – uh, what's that site? Breaking Cool? Or the, uh, no, Ble- Bleeding Cool. Bleeding Cool. I'm sorry. Bleeding Cool. It's going to play um, Bleeding Cool. It's going to do five episodes. I'm not exactly sure when it's starting. It's starting soon. But they're going to do one new episode a day for five days. Um, well, they've got like a three-minute trailer, so right. you can see quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I'm going to jump in and interrupt you a little bit. I, I was very skeptical at first. Too. I was like, oh, man, what is this? Ugh. You know, and then I watched it. Oh, my gosh. It was hilarious. Because everyone in the show... Is taking it seriously, right? Right. right. It, it, they're they're legitimately taking it seriously, and everyone's sort of normal humans, except Aquaman's there, and they just accept that he's a, I think, a prince at this point. Yeah. And um, God, it's funny. It's really, and the, some of the dialogue's really clever. Well, it's like when you think about it, you, you combine the self seriousness of superheroes with the self seriousness of the CW dramas. It's like a perfect match. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, these, all these people taking themselves way, way too seriously. So I'm really looking forward to it. And it was nice to talk to Patrick uh, directly. It was really funny. He stopped by. Um, it was him and his two friends, and they all had Aquaman the Teen Drama T-shirts. And so I'm <laughs> like, well, I know that that's, you know. So I'm standing there, and Patrick goes over and starts talking to Ed Caddo. Now, Patrick's never met me, so he doesn't know who I am. So he's talking to Ed, and I'm just waiting for them to stop talking so I can introduce myself. And I'm either, you know, but talking about Aquaman or whatever. And then uh, Ed sees me standing there and Ed goes, well, Patrick, you may not realize this, but you are fi- you are standing right next to the number one Aquaman. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 Ed, I know who this is. You know, it was like, no, no, no. I, you know, so we had a laugh about that. And um, so, yeah, it was, it's cool. I'm looking forward to uh, to talking about the show on the shrine. Um, in terms of other convention stuff. Uh, All right, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you again. This picture of Paul Kupperberg, I'm looking on Facebook. Those girls are hot. Yeah. Are you are you the one who took the photo? No, I did not. I, I think Ed took the photo. Oh, okay. So yeah, they're they're very 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 pretty women. Nice. Um, <laughs> in terms of the convention, dear God, was it crowded? I mean, I, you know, the the weekends are always the crowded time, but this was insane. I couldn't get anywhere, and I found it. I guess I'm just becoming old. Uh, I just found it. In, just not pleasant because you couldn't get anywhere. You couldn't move without, you know, like a major effort. And I, um, I had a, like a half an hour of free time before the book signing started. So I ran over to Artist Alley to say hi to the boys because they knew they'd be there. And so I did, and I talked to Rod, and Rod gave me a little bit of scoop about what's maybe coming up in Aquaman, which I can't talk about, but it'll be fun. He's looking forward to it. And uh, there's another Aquaman project in the works that, I think everyone will enjoy. That's all I'll say for now. Um, so I said hi to those guys and just getting, I don't know, for any of you that are listening to this, that have been to the Javits Center. I mean, it's a giant convention center. It's one giant building and then there's other mini buildings sort of around it. But, I mean, it's all one place. It's not like you have to go outside to get to any other part of it. And just walking from Artist Alley to the main show floor took me a half an hour just to walk mm. there. Because there were so many people, to get, you couldn't go anywhere. And I just was like, this is nuts. And so when, when the book signing ended at 2 o'clock, I just was like, i got to get out of here. I was like, I can't stand to be here anymore. Uh, it was just, just way, way too intense. And I, so I, I feel a little bad is that I had a badge and you know, I could have used it for the whole day. But um, I was carrying around this 50-ton suitcase behind me with all my copies of Hey Kids and other stuff. And I was like... The thought of dragging that around the show floor and trying to navigate all that humanity, uh, I, was, I, I can't do it. 
I can't do it. So I took one picture while I was there, which is this really cute girl dressed as Aquaman that that'll appear on the shrine on Tuesday. But uh, yeah, so I got the hell out of there. But but the signing itself was a lot of fun. I sold some books and uh, gave out some pins and some bookmarks, and and um, I really appreciate. Uh, like I said, Randy, Lucian, and David for stopping by and buying a book. That was really very nice. Lucian actually had pre-ordered his and brought his with him. And so he got Kupperberg to sign it and um, some of the other guys signed it. So we had, you know, multiple signed copies. So it was fun. It was a lot of fun. And I, I thank uh, Ed and Paul for, for doing this because, you know, without without them, without their generosity, it never would have happened at all. I just would have had to skip the convention entirely. So I really appreciate those guys for sort of doing me a solid like that. That was incredibly nice of them. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned something about how crowded the convention was. It just sparked a thought. You know I missed Dragon Con this year. And I talked to a lot of friends that went, and they said very similar statements. The crowd was so bad. It just it almost ruined the experience for them. And I started thinking about Dragon Con's been getting more and more crowded every year. Comic Con's getting more and more crowded every year. Um, you know, New York Comic Con, obviously, is all these different ones. So here's my question is that for an industry that is supposedly dying – why are the the, the, the get-togethers busting out the doors? I mean, is, is it people that just don't collect comics are coming to them because it's cool because of I don't know Big Bang Theory or they they want to see the Twilight panel or you know I mean, what what's causing this? I think that's got to be a big part of it. And the, the 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 thing I can think about that relates exactly to what you just said was uh, while I was sitting there at my table with the Hey Kids books, I'm talking to somebody. These two guys, uh, not two guys, a guy and a girl came by. And uh, the, they were they were in cosplay. They were dressed as like Wolverine and Storm or something. The guy picked up a bookmark. We were giving off giving away the bookmarks for free, of course. And the guy picked up the bookmark. Had no interest in the book. I mean, didn't didn't look twice at the book, but picked up the bookmark, walked away, and then the girl with him looked down the aisle at something and said, "Oh, look over there! They're giving away free stuff." And they uh... ran over there. And I'm like. Really? Is that all you you like? I just I don't understand why you would go to a convention just to pick up a bunch of free kind of crap that you don't want. Like, why would why would somebody even want a bookmark for a book he's not interested in? Like that part just utterly baffles me. But there are people like that that they they just want to like I guess go to a convention, look at fun stuff, and walk away with giant bags full of stuff. I guess that's part yeah. Of the, you know? Part of part of my old job was managing uh, trade shows for. Ah, they're right. very bo- they're very boring trade shows, but yes, and uh, but people would show up just to get the free stuff. You make a good point. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, I'll reveal a little piece of my past. Everyone who's been a comic fan has had to deal with uh, in their child. If you're a, a fan of comics when you were a kid, especially in the '80s, at some point you had to deal with someone pretty unpleasant, probably <laughs> towards you about your interests. And I had a guy I went to school with who was a bully, and he gave me a bunch of crap for liking comics. I mean, I really hated this guy. He was really Really crappy to me, and it made my life miserable for a few months in uh, I don't know, like sixth or seventh grade. It was really unpleasant. And last year, he put on his Facebook picture of him at Comic Con with two of the uh, Captain America girls oh, in geez. cosplay. And I swear, I came within inches of writing a nasty ass diatribe <laughs> to him and realized, you know, it's been what 20, 30 years. Is it? It doesn't matter. But it just got under my skin. I can you understand know? that. Yeah. And so maybe maybe that's why these things are so crowded. It's those people. Yeah, may, I guess so. I you know the people who jumped on Beanie Babies in the '90s because they were hot. They jumped on sports collecting cars because they're hot. They jumped on comics in the '90s because they're hot. And, now, geek culture's hot. And that is something that I hope. Like right now, the Baltimore Comic Con is to me like a perfect convention because it's about comics and 
it's you know it's certainly crowded, but it isn't crushing because I don't think you because it's about comics. You don't have all those people there just looking for free crap. You have mm-hmm. people there to go. I mean, people there were excited to see Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his name. Uh, you know, the, I think at a I think at a comic con like New York or San Diego, he's lost in that crowd. You know, it's like oh, let's go to the panel. You know, so I kind of hope that Baltimore doesn't get any bigger than the way it is. They're they're going mm-hmm. they're going from two days to three next year, which scares me because it's like uh oh, is this is this where this is headed? But I really hope. Like I kind of hope that they can keep making money doing the way they're doing it because I don't want it. I don't want the Baltimore Comic Con to become that where it is just rubberneckers who are just looking to fill their bags full of crap that they don't. You know, that a month later they're not going to even care about. So, well, it, it's not just free stuff. Too. A lot of people go just to see the cosplay because yeah, it's become yeah. it's become a big thing, right. and it's a it's it's essentially a big party. You know. Yeah. And some of them go because they think they're cooler than us, and so they feel like they're a big man on campus or something, and, you know, whatever. Um, there's a whole thing out there about fake geek people, right, fake right, geek right. girl, I, and I don't want to go near that because yeah. that's an explosive issue, quite honestly, and I don't have an opinion one way or another and don't want to be the target of attacks. Uh, um, but there, there are a lot of people that just go to the conventions just to go, regardless of your sex, regardless of your interest, and it's... Yeah, it's clogging up the works, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, I don't mean to sound like such an old, crabby old man. I mean, I guess I am. But, uh, you know, I, and I'm not begrudging the New York Comic Con. It's like I am sure running that Comic Con is mega expensive. I mean, that's got to be crazy. So they're not going to turn down any chance to make, uh, you know, another you know, another couple of bucks in sales. They're not going to turn anybody down. I totally understand that. Um, but I'm just saying just as a person who was there – to talk to and hang out with other comics people, it's just clearly not a show worth doing anymore because, you know, like, basically the only copies of the book I sold were to people that already knew it was there. You know, like, mm. like Lucian knew, it was, you know, Lucian came to find me. Randy, cool. Randy knew I was there. David knew I was there. You know, I mean, it was like, so there wasn't anybody that walked by that was just like, hey, what's this thing? Oh, I'll buy it. And there, that, I didn't sell one copy that way. So... You know, it's just not that kind of show, and that's fine. That's you know, hopefully there can be other comic cons that are like that, that are just comic cons. So, you know, uh, I just said I can't. You know, it's going on right now as we're recording. I can't imagine what it's like on a Saturday. I (laughs) I can't imagine. I really just can't. It's just where it's just nuts. But I have to thank again John and Bill and Ed and Paul for helping me out because you guys totally made this work without you. Stepping away from our from our grumpiness, we should say that we're thrilled that comic conventions that, that we enjoy are doing so well rather than dying on the vine. Oh yeah, so, no, it's fantastic. Should, yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, what else do we want to talk? What else do we want to cover well, today? Well, I've got a the, the Firestorm segment of the oh, show. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, I'm going to talk a little about a Firestorm related topic and it does tie into New York Comic Con. That's right. Well, at New York Comic Con this weekend and I am not exactly sure when this took place, but uh, cuz you know not all the news is easy to find at this point, but they have announced during one of the panels that there is going to be a new Deathstorm action figure, meaning the, the Crime Syndicate of America version of Deathstorm, the anti-Firestorm, if you will. And it, they put a lot of pictures up, and we'll put it up on the Tumblr, and it'll be up on Firestorm Fan next week as well. And it's pretty cool looking. It's a new uh, Deathstorm action figure based on the David Finch design. So he's the guy writing Forever e- or drawing Forever Evil, I think. Yes. And uh, it's pretty cool. It looks very super heroic because that's the the new Deathstorm doesn't look quite like the old Deathstorm. And I'm going to talk about some of the differences in a minute. He looks very much like a dark version of Firestorm. He's got the very 
super heroic, the big shoulder pads, he's got the puffy sleeves, he's got, you know, the, the bracers, like, it, it looks very much like someone colored Firestorm's costume in red and black, and uh, then he's got the skull face and stuff. Now, I will say a couple of quick things about this figure that just really jump out at me. The, the flames are done really nicely. With Firestorm's flaming head, it can go any, any direction. Sometimes it sucks, sometimes it's really well done, sometimes it's overdone. This is very nice. It's sort of I don't want to say elegant, but it's very simple. It looks more like just like a flame than a big old crazy flames everywhere with pieces sticking up everywhere. It's it's very clean, and it looks like it's kind of cool. It goes all the way into the skull. The trans because usually it's a translucent like orange color. So if you put a light above it, it shines real nice. Well, it looks like what they've done here is they they've let the translucent material go all the way into the center of the head. And so if you light it just right with light through the top, I think it's going to make his eyes glow. <laughs> That's cool. Like that. If you follow what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It looks great. So you can see the orange flames through his eyes and through his nose piece, which is pretty, cause it's pretty cool. It's like that little window they had in Darkseid's head for the superpowers figure. And yeah, kind of like that. Except, yeah. except this is cooler. Yeah. So, I, <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, a new Death Storm action figure, which is a pretty big deal. I mean, the... the the Crime Syndicate action figures have been announced for a while now, and there's been a lot of uh, match heads being like, really? Really? No no Death Storm? Wow. Okay. That's how it's going to be. Well, <laughs> they're, they're <laughs> angry, angry and violent as this has turned all of a sudden. Well, we were, we were kind of like, really? You're going to get your power ring and your everyone else, but nice no Death Storm? Nice toy line, DC. It'd be a shame if something happened to it. <laughs> going to send a couple of guys with baseball bats over to your offices see maybe they heard how outraged we were and, and did this I don't know anyway it is scheduled for release in April 2014 so but I imagine it'll be in the next previews magazine or something so you'll need to order it early to make sure you get yours so be looking for that and again hits the store for April 2014 it is a death storm action figure from Crime Syndicate it looks pretty cool and it looks like it's going to retail for $24.95 what I wanted to do was use this as a springboard for a Firestorm segment, which is to talk about a, I, I, what I was going to do anyway this week was I was going to talk about a Firestorm action figure. I was going to pick a Firestorm action figure random and just sort of talk about it, whether it be one from 1984 or 1999 or 2004 or whatever. Well, you know what? I think what we'll do is talk about Death Storm action figures. It's probably the most logical thing to do. There have been a few. The very first one came out as part of the Blackest Night line, and this was in April 2010. And this was based on the Ethan Van Skyver design of Deathstorm. So his costume was, you know, you know Ethan Van Skyver can draw. And you know he can draw Firestorm. And you know, if you saw his uh, designs for Blackest Night, you know he does an amazing job on those characters too. So it's based on the Ethan Van Skyver Deathstorm. And it looked really, really sharp. In fact, I shouldn't call him Deathstorm. In fact, he was the Black Lantern Firestorm at that point. So I, gotta, I forget the distinction. It didn't happen until brightest day that he became Deathstorm. So the Black Lantern Firestorm was what this was. Very slick design. He's got sort of... Um, the, the lines on his costume are a, a reflective silver, so they shine really nicely. His headpiece is translucent blue, because if you remember uh, the, the, the Blackest Night Firestorm, his hair was actually like a blue cold flame, which looks really cool. And he's even got some of this stuff, this blue flame spilling out of his collar and under from under his arm, so it's sort of going over his shoulder as well. Looks really good. And in typical Ethan Man Skyver, there's lots of detail, lots of kind of sharp lines. He's got the puffy sleeve. So if you're a Firestorm fan, you know the puffy sleeves are important. And, you know, and in fact, they're very important because right now Firestorm doesn't have puffy sleeves. I mean, that's, that's a bit of a crime. But So anyway, it's, uh, it came out in April 2010 as part of that Blackest Night collection. It's a very nice figure. You can probably still find it out on eBay and things like that. 
But um, it, it's also sort of super heroic looking in that the costume's sleek, and I'll explain where I'm going with that in a minute, but it's, it's, it, it does mirror Firestorm's costume with the slightly pointed shoulder pads and, and the puffy sleeves and that. As I go along, you'll see that Deathstorm became a lot more wild and crazy, and that's why I bring all that up. So, the next Deathstorm piece to be released was part of the Action League. You remember those little guys? They yeah, were, those were fun. I like those little, those little micro-heroes, if you will. They were adorable. They're only about, I don't know, three inches tall. And they're, you know, in the old, in the 90s, they'd call it super deformed, but it was, they were kind of, their proportions are screwed up. Like, they got huge chests and huge fists and, you know, huge feet, but skinny little waists and stuff. They're really adorable. And they came out with this two-pack with Firestorm and Deathstorm. And it was, it was like sort of an, what Deathstorm would look like in an animated series, really is the best way to describe how he looked. It's adorable. He's so yeah, cute. Those guys loved fact, all those figures. They were really sharp looking. Yep, and that came out in December 2010, and that is actually um, some of the only uh, my desk that I where I work here at home. I don't have many action figures on it because I just you know it's a, it's a workspace for my office. But the, I have one Firestorm, one Blue Devil figure, and then I've got these two little Action League guys. So I actually have this Deathstorm, even though I'm not a huge fan of the character. He's on my desk because he's adorable. So him and Firestorm. So you can still find this part of the uh, again DC Universe Action League. And they're these cute little things, and they're so worth it. And you know, go out and find it. Was there an Aquaman one? I assume. Yeah, yeah, there was Aquaman and Black Mana. I have those are those are real. I I really don't buy these any much Aquaman stuff anymore, just because I just don't have the room or the money. But um, those I got because a they're easy to store because they're so tiny. Yeah, and they were they were really really sharp. Aquaman had the little beard and stuff like that. It was really. <laughs> Did he look like the brave and the bold? Aquaman? Yeah, he was the brave and the yeah they were the brave and the bold. Okay. Aquaman. You know, that, that's right, because that's how that line started. That, right. that line started as a Brave and the Bold line. I right. forgot. Yep. Uh, it was Brave and the Bold Action League, and then they expanded and just called it the DC Universe Action League. That's right. And this Deathstorm also has translucent blue hair, and if you catch the light just right, it, uh, it makes his eyes – does it make his eyes? No, his eyes don't glow. I'm sorry. But it does uh, glow up his head real nice. So he's <laughs> Glow up his head real nice. Glow up his head real nice. He's adorable. <laughs> Then you get – this isn't really an action figure, but it's worth mentioning. This is one of the few Firestorm pieces I don't own simply because of the price tag. I couldn't bring myself to buy it. They did a Black as Night, uh, Black Lantern Firestorm uh, bust, and it was like a $70 you know, thing, which goes for a lot more now. It was a, you know, a little statue type of thing from waist up of Black as Night Firestorm. It looked very much like the action figure. I mean almost – you just, as long as you could pose the action figure and you'd be like, maybe it's the same thing. But it's, uh, it's nice. I've seen it before. It's, it's very pretty if you're into the Deathstorm or Blackest Night, uh, uh, Black, Black Lantern, Firestorm, whichever way you want to say it. Uh, it's a nice piece, so you can find it out there. I'm guessing you won't be getting that. No, not interested. Okay. Now, here is where – this is why I keep making a point of saying Firestorm's costume looks very you – know, Death, the Deathstorm costume looks very super heroic. Because by the time you get to brightest day – Deathstorm's costume had become very exaggerated, very, very exaggerated, and that's why I wanted to mention that because when you get here, this last piece, which is not technically an action figure, but it is a collectible related to Deathstorm. I mean, you know those Eagle Moss magazines? Yeah. Right now they're doing chess pieces, but previously they did these uh, figure collector magazines, and they did a line called the Blackest Night figure collector magazines. Issue number 11, which came out around August 2011 – uh, featured Deathstorm. And this was, again, the point where when you get it at the brightest day, his costume was extremely exaggerated. Like, Firestorm, if you've ever noticed, he has these little tiny shoulder pad pieces that are just to have a little small point to them. 
Well, by this point, that point had gotten exaggerated and stuck almost a f- like a foot off of his shoulder, just way out there. Crazy points. His fingers had become almost like long talons. His, uh, all the lines were very, very harsh. He still had puffy sleeves, but really more like he was sort of tight around the, the muscles, but right down near where the, met the gloves was all bungee, and even that looked sharp and edgy. I mean, he really had gotten exaggerated and crazy looking. And that really, I mean, that came down to the way he was drawn in, in Brightest Day. Now, in the comic form, it looked awesome. It looked very 90s, which is what he was supposed to look like. He was supposed to be a very 90s character. So, again, that's why I was emphasizing superhero look. But this was, the, in this, they came with these little lead figures. They're about, I don't know, was that six inches tall, those things? Yeah, a little and, more than that, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're made of lead, so don't let your kids near them. If you read the label in the package... It's really it sounds, scary. Yeah, I mean, the label makes it sound like your kid will self-destruct if they come within 10 feet of this thing. Pregnant woman uh, should not look at this statue. Right. <laughs> but they are really well done, I have to say. They're, they're very well sculpted. They look pretty cool. I mean, this Death Storm one is... The, even the pictures online don't do it justice. Like, the real one, his mouth, he's just huge. His mouth is way gaping open, like, you know? You can see tons and tons of nasty veins in his neck. Uh, it's really a, a nice little piece. But uh, so it, it it does not have translucent blue hair, but it is kind of a they use blue paint instead, and it does look pretty cool though. So um, they, uh, that was a real quick overview of <laughs> and immediately describing something that you can't see. Sorry, but it gives you <laughs> it gives you sort of a feeling for how much Deathstorm stuff they produced in just the short time of creating. What it was in two thousand nine was Blackest Night, I think. Isn't that right? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah. 2010, so, 2010. 2010. 2010. So just in a matter of like two years, they produced all these things for Deathstorm. It's amazing. So, you might but say the he's new act- taking the comic world by storm? Storm! Oh! <laughs> now, Ken Deemer, Ken Deemer, who's a listener to the show and uh, and also a huge Firestorm fan, a buddy of mine, he would tell you that it's kind of frustrating that there's been so much attention on you know, Deathstorm and Killer Frost and not as much on Firestorm himself. A little disappointing. So It'd be like if Black Mana and Ocean Master were the headliners and Aquaman gets mentioned once in a while. So. Well, that's going to be a perfect segue to what we were going to talk about next, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Almost as so, if you planned it. So pick up your uh, – order your Deathstorm action figure uh, soon in stores April 2014. Uh, yeah, as uh, Shag uh, oh so subtly hinted at, uh, the other thing we're going to cover that we didn't get around to in the last couple of weeks was the other vil- Villains Month Aquaman-related issue, which is Ocean Master Number 1, a.k.a. Aquaman 23.2. So silly. Uh, <laughs> I'm, telling you, I'm telling you, there's some dude who's cataloging these things, whose mind is just exploding. He's like, my spreadsheet and database can't handle Deathmoth. <laughs> I love your very subtle caricature there. That's uh, very <laughs> nuanced. Uh, anyway, yeah, Ocean Master, number one, New Fish, is by Jeff Johns and Tony Bedard. Pencils by Geraldo Borges and inks by Roy uh, – I forget how you say his name. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Roy Jose? <laughs> Roy Jose. Roy Jose. Uh, I meant the Roy part. The Roy, did, Roy, did you say the colors? Yes, yeah, Rod- oh, I'm sorry, I didn't. Yeah, the colors is Rod Reese, which is why it looks so so awesome. Um, uh, much like the Black Mana book, I just didn't have a whole lot of much to say about this in a positive way, so I tended to say nothing. Basically, super quick plot is Ocean Master meets with his lawyer. Uh, all of a sudden, the uh, crime syndicate breaks in. The lawyer gets crushed. Ocean Master escapes with no thanks to Merc. 
Um, <laughs> you were right. It pains me to say Merck had absolutely nothing Does to do with nothing. this game. It's not only is he a useless character, he's an ineffectual character. He all this <laughs> goddamn plotting and he does nothing. Anyway, uh, there's a guard who's actually sort of kind to Ocean Master, gives him a bottle of water. And then when the uh, when the crime syndicate breaks in and all there's rubble, he sees the guard laying there mortally wounded and he sort of begs Ocean Master to help him. Ocean Master does help him in his own peculiar way, which is by snapping the guy's neck and leaving him there. So he doesn't, uh, you know, slowly die. He dies immediately. So thanks a lot for that, Ocean Master. He walks it. He grabs I, his. Tr- I, th- yes. I think he suffocates him, actually. Well, yeah, I guess so. Okay, all right. I thought the way his head was turned on the bottom panel looked like he broke his neck. It does look like that because but I'm he's, ble- sure. he's bleeding out his mouth, and you wouldn't bleed out your yeah. mouth if you're suffocated. You bleed out. Now think if you anyway, he kills him one way or the other. Ocean Master grabs his trident. He walks into this small little town. He's uh, these two other supervillains break into like this little convenience store where they start smashing people left and right. Ocean Master is, o- is also there. They get into a giant fight. Ocean Master kicks these two guys' ass. He knocks the one guy like a million miles away out of the out of this place. He stabs the other guy with his trident. Again, it's a very violent comic. He puts on his uniform. The woman who was left there says, hey, you know what? With all these supervillains going crazy, you know, I think my son, who is currently being babysat, is probably at risk. Can you come help? Ocean Master is like, I don't care. I'm leaving you. I, you know, I don't care about your stupid human. Uh, he wanders off. The woman tries to yell at him. Says, "What's the matter with you?" He's like, I, "Again, I don't care." He wanders into the ocean. He then overhears and he uh, overhears that the the woman and her son are in fact getting attacked by a couple more uh, escaped inmates. He goes all the way into the ocean. Then he turns around and he changes his mind and he says, eight, eight is too young," meaning the young boy. And he heads back into town. And that is the end of the issue. Um, I, you know, I just. I okay. I really like Geraldo Borges's work. Um, he did some pencil, some loose pencil sketches of Aquaman and Mirror, which we posted on the shrine a couple of months back. And he's drawing the upcoming Aquaman annual. The stuff that I saw in his pencil sketches, I didn't see a lot of here, and I have to think that is the fault of the inker. I just think that the uh, Roy Jose just not. I, I don't know. I think he just in a lot of ways, squeeze the life out of a lot of these pencils. Uh, a lot of, some of the anatomy seems kind of wonky to me. It, I don't know, just the stuff that I saw that Geraldo did on his own, to me, looked a lot better than what I see here. So, um, you know... Yeah, I was I was blown away by the first couple pages. The scenes in Atlantis? Yeah, the stuff, I mean, the two, there's a two-page spread of Ocean Master heading towards the camera. And it's it that is a really great couple of pages. All these scary fish behind him and his army, and Rod Reese just kills it, of course, with the color. Uh, so those are really, really, yeah, you're right. Those opening pages are really sharp, but then I think it it takes a sort of quick nosedive right after that. I'll tell you one of my favorite things. Maybe this was done by um, the boys originally. I don't know, but the very first page when he's sitting on the throne, mm-hmm. behind him, it looks like there's a giant breaking wave. That's really cool mm-hmm. for the king of Atlantis' throne. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's an artifact from the boy's work or something he did here himself, but I just think that's a really, really cool effect for um, the king of Atlantis' throne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is, a, there is a lot of – I mean the designs, everything, which is a lot of – you know, the Ocean Master design, which is stuff that, yeah, that the boys created that, that I guess Geraldo is following, uh, are really sharp. You know, and they've really given – this this Aquaman's world a distinct visual look much more so much more distinct than he's had in a long time, and there I will say this I, I'm not 
I'm not totally at liberty to say. But if you are a fan of the boys' work on Aquaman as a solo artifact, not as a member of the JLA, you haven't seen the last of it. Let's just say that. So That's great news. There's that. Uh, Very cool. I, and overall, you know, like my opinion didn't change much about this issue that did over Black Man. I just don't think this this whole Villains Month was really worth doing. <laughs> but, you know, so be it. Aquaman number 24 will be out in a couple of weeks. And, and then the followed by the Aquaman annual. So that'll be awesome. Well, there's some things I liked in this, this issue from the story perspective. Like we talked about before how Orm isn't necessarily a bad guy. He's not a supervillain. He is the king of, you know, of Atlantis and perceived a, a grave wrong was done to his country, so he retaliated as a, as a leader would do. And there's a lot of that in the beginning of this where he doesn't care about human judgment. Right. It's meaningless to him because as far as he's concerned, the only thing that matters is Atlantean judgment. And he again, he's the king. And you know what? I still stand by that thought that Orm as – a king trying to defend his land is a really cool way to take this character. And I think it works well. And I think the, those elements that are in here of that are really good. Where I begin to have a problem is like he does act like a supervillain to some extent. Like when he's going to let those guys rape the woman and kill the child and all these terrible things. And it's like I don't think he would actively go out and protect human beings. But I think if some horrible thing was happening right in front of him, he would stop it. Like if I if I was I don't know walking through the woods and I saw two I don't know animals about to gang up and, and do something terrible to another animal and I had the ability to stop it I'd probably be like all right you know break this up come on knock it off you go 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 your own ways people animals whatever which is kind of how he perceived this I don't think he would sit there and go well yeah you know lady have fun and let her get killed and then turn around because then at the end they make it more like oh no he is a hero he's going back and it's like Ugh. I think it would have just been better if he you know, casually knock the guys away and say, woman, your problems aren't my concern, letting her live, you know, and then go in the ocean or something. By the way, it's not the ocean technically. It's the Gulf of Mexico. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. I do like the idea of making him less of a world-conquering supervillain as more of, I rule Atlantis, and if Atlantis is threatened, I'm going to retaliate. That is a nice way of diverging him from Black Manta, who is, you know, not a world-conqueror, but, you know, a classic supervillain. Yes, so, he is. So, yeah, no, I do appreciate that, and I do think he has been recontextualized in a, in a good way. But I just think I, – I don't think that neither he or Black Mana can support an entire book by themselves, especially when, as we talked about in previous episodes of the show, that it's just – we're just seeing the same events retold over and over again from a slightly different perspective. Like, okay, great. You know, <laughs> like – and again, all – Merck. All that talk of Merck, and he got nothing accomplished. I wish a giant Acme-sized boulder would just fall on him. That, or Acme <laughs> is safe, like a safe. Just just kill him. Get rid of God. All right, Merck, Merck only appeared in one panel in this comic, so you, you got to give him a break. Back off. <laughs> he's been wasting my time every friggin' month. So. Um, so, but, yeah, I mean, it's, one of the things we've talked about, and it's been months since we talked about it, but is Orm is essentially supposed to be Namor. When he's not crazy, you know, when Namor's not absolutely losing his mind and going nuts and being a villain and Namor's got his act together, essentially that's who Orm is, the leader of Atlantis who's going to attack the surface world if they attack him. Right. So, and there were elements of that in this comic, but then there were elements where they really missed the mark, I felt like. So, anyway, of the Villains Month comics, this is not bad. It's, <laughs> I liked it, well, I liked it better than Black Mana. 
Uh, I do think, and I, I really don't think I'm being biased here. I really do think the best one I've read so far is Killer Frost, and I've read a bunch of them. That was I a good buy- one. I, I, that was the, of the three I read. That was my favorite one so far. I've read quite a few of them, and I think that's probably my favorite one so far. I mean, even the Flash ones were, were pretty good, but that one, but Killer Frost felt like a complete story. Mm-hmm. You know, it really mm-hmm. did. So, no, I agree. Sterling, I, Sterling, Sterling, Gates is, Sterling Gates is awesome. So, I agree. No, I'm, I, I don't, I don't have any bias on that about at all. Uh, I, so, I, I would agree. I actually, I read four. I read the Poison Ivy one as well. So, yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I think Killer Frost was was the most effective one. It told, it it told a complete story, and it, you know, gave us an insight into this character that we haven't really seen much of, as opposed to just sort of moving the camera slightly and giving us, you know, yet another view of this same story we've seen for the past three months. But they'll make up for it in that we will have not only a new issue of Aquaman in a couple of, in a couple of weeks, we'll have an Aquaman annual right after that. So there'll be a lot of Aquaman. There'll be a lot of Aquaman. And there's even more coming. So with Villains Month over and being disappointed in some of it, I have decided October, I made my own personal Villains Month. I am currently reading the Secret Society of Supervillains trade paperback from the. This is collecting the nineteen, the mid nineteen seventies series. Oh, that was so much fun! That series. It is a mixed bag of crazy, <laughs> my friend. I'm, I'm about halfway through the book, and some some issues are gold. Some issues are like, oh my gosh! Some of the want... worst supervillains ever created were created for that series. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, some of it's really hokey. Anyway, so I'm reading the Secret Society of Supervillains from DC, and I am also reading, uh, or I will be reading next, the. What do they call them for Marvel? Essential? Essential Marvel supervillain team-up. Oh, yeah, and I remember that book. I haven't read them yet, but it, from the cover, it looks like it's a lot of Doctor Doom and Submariner teaming up and yeah. Doctor Doom <laughs> and other characters. It's, it's essentially it's Marvel team-up, but from the villain's point of view. Yep, yep, yep. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. So I'm making October my own personal villain's month. Does the, does the Secret Origin of Supervillains trade feature the three issues of JLA they appeared in? No, it does not. In oh, fact, it look okay. it well. It looks like originally this was going to be a showcase. Okay. And that fell through, probably for licensing reasons or something, or maybe they, they just thought they could make some money with Forever Evil going on right now. I don't know. But so now it looks like it's more like a volume one kind of thing because okay. it only collects it only collects the first ten. Wasn't there like fifteen or sixteen issues of this thing? Secret Orange of Supervillains, fifteen. No. Fifteen. Okay, Secret Society. You mean? I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, Secret Society. It's so hard to say. Secret Society. Well, Supervillains. There's the 15, but then there's um, the issue that was in um, the, 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 what's that thing called? I ha- I, Firestorm had a comic in it. Uh, DC can- canceled, comic can- canceled Comics Cavalcade, yeah. So I think I had an issue in there, too. Okay, didn't so I guess 16. So, okay. so what they could do is they could, published issues. they could finish it out. If they sold enough of these things, they could finish it out with the remaining issues, the Justice League story, and the, um, the Cancel Comics Cavalcade comic. Okay. That'd be cool. Okay. There's a good, there's a, a a three issue JLA series of 167 through 169 I think if memory serves where they no. where the, the secret society switches bodies with the JLA and it's a great oh, wait what oh yes their incarnation the like 195 to 197 maybe the ones where Killer Frost and yeah that's okay those are the later ones but yeah there was there was a interesting okay yeah there was a three issue story where they where they the secret five of them, five of the secret society supervillains, switch bodies with the JLA, and it's great because the entire story hinges on the, and gets ruined. Their entire plot to destroy the JLA gets ruined by the fact that the whoever villain was in Green Lantern's body hits on Black Canary, 
which I just love that that was the thing that ruined the whole plan. <laughs> it was like, he was like, hey, baby, now that we're alone, <laughs> I'm like, he's about to kill the Justice League, but he's such a horn dog that he can't, he can't keep it in. He keep it in your pants, buddy. Keep it in your pants. He can't keep his ring in his pants long enough to let this plan get off. It's, it was amazing. One of the great, to me, all, it's all-time great turns in a Justice League story of like, you know, if you're a jerk, you're always going to be a jerk. It doesn't matter what you have out in front of you. you could have killed, They could have killed Superman. They, had, they were so close to killing Superman. Uh, now, is that the same storyline that became a referenced in Identity Crisis? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. I remember that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a really fun story. I think it's JLA 167 through 169. You should consult my blog, jlasatellite.blogspot.com, <laughs> for the, uh, for the uh, you, you know, one of the things that I found a hoot here, and, and maybe it was you who told me, somebody told me this previously, and, and anyway, I'm reading Secret Society of Bruins, and at one point, Funky Flashman is leading the secret society. He's in charge of it, which is crazy. Absolutely nuts when Funky Flashman's actually directing the, the activities of the secret society. And that's that goofy uh, salesman guy from right. the Mr. Miracle comics who eventually got involved with Justice League International. Anyway, I, I didn't know it, and someone told me, again, maybe it was you, that he was sort of a, a way to parody Stan Lee. Yes, yeah, he's a Stan Lee knockoff. Yeah. yeah. Well, halfway through secret society, Rick Butler just... Completely goes off the reservation and changes the way Funky Flashman looks entirely for no apparent reason, and he looks exactly like Stan Lee in the seventies. Exactly go. like him. They don't even try and hide it. It's like, where did his beard go? He had last year. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, people it's, shave their beards, it's, you know, and leave the mustache and leave the mustache. <laughs> yeah, and they're busy flying yeah. off to Hollywood trying to make movies that never happened in the seventies. Um, <laughs> well, it's that's my own personal villains month. Okay. Uh, I think the last thing that we wanted to cover was a little bit of sort of cleanup uh, for the previous episode, which is our Golden Age Aquaman episode where Mike Bailey was kind enough to jump in and fill in for Shag. Uh, There's a couple things. All right. I'm going to talk real quick before you get into the details of this. First off, you know, I'm ticked off of the government shutdown, which prevented me from being in the episode where we talk about one of my favorite comics of all time, All-Star Squadron. You talked about All-Star Squadron without me. I can't believe that. I've told you so many times that the Justice Society and that kind of stuff from the 80s are my favorite superheroes ever. In fact, I was going to do a Justice Society blog before I, did, I settled on Firestorm, but there were already sites out there. I just I can't believe you'd do that without me. Snooze, you lose, pal. What can I tell you? And then, and then, you, you, you like, in some sort of fever dream... You guys make up this whole Golden Age, uh, Earth 2 Aquaman nonsense. Sure, he existed in the Golden Age, but he was n- there was no Earth 2 Aquaman. He simply was in Earth. He was in Golden Age, and they just carried him through the foreground, and it was always Earth 1 Aquaman. They just didn't call it that back in the 40s. Because if you look at the, the thing you cited, All-Star Squadron number 31, where, Bla- uh, where Liberty Bell says, oh, well, Aquaman can't be here. Right? You remember right, that? Because he's, he's generally at sea. Right. He's generally at sea. Right, right. You see a little picture of Golden Age Aquaman, and, and, and Rob's running around going, there's, he, he exists, he exists, he's real, it's Earth 2 Aquaman. No, that is her fever dream, imagining him. He's not in the issue. That's her imagining him. He's a myth. He doesn't exist. He does not exist on Earth 2. Then, when you get around to issue 59, where the, gold, the yellow-gloved Earth 2 Aquaman does show up, come on, let's all just admit it. That was 15 seconds before the crisis happened. That was Roy Thomas just being like, eh, I'll just throw this in there. What the hell? There, there's nothing to that. No, there's no Earth 2 Aquaman. That, he existed. He didn't exist until that moment, until All-Star Squadron 59. That's the first time and only time that Earth 2 Aquaman ever existed. And it was 13 seconds before Crisis 
wiped him out, so I say no deal. No dice. Are you done? I I win. No, you don't win. Nonsense. Nonsense. Yep. Anyway, the two other things, I'm just, I'm not even going to argue with that because you're just just like, it's like a person with a tinfoil hat on the street corner. You don't go near them. You just just keep walking around. Can't argue with logic, my friend. He was right there. Whatever. Anyway. Uh, the two things that we missed, uh, forgetting, we forgot to mention in the show was one, Aquaman of Earth 2 does make another appearance in All-Star Squadron. Ha! Uh, that we forgot to mention. He is in All-Star Squadron number 53. He is in a panel where, uh, they're talking about calling in reinforcements. And Robot Man says, but there's all sorts of other heroes we could get in. We could get in on this. And he's like, Sargon the Sorcerer, Wildcat, and Aquaman. And we see Aquaman right there. So... You, again, he you don't see him. Oh, so Robin Ma- so Robin, Robin Man is also having a fever dream along with Liberty Bell. They both sure yes. Man, you are committed yes. to this. You really are. Yes, I am. There is no Earth Two Aquaman. Anyway, okay. And the other thing that uh, that Mike and I touched on was the Secret Origins book from the eighties, which was a really really fun book, edited by Mark Wade, featuring some of the greatest letters pages in like any comic. And I was always perturbed, or more than perturbed, uh, I was a Mister Perturbed. Was that Aquaman never got an origin? <laughs> they they did fifty issues of that book with two characters per issue, and they never did an Aquaman. Aquaman never got an origin, which really annoyed me. And so Mike found this little wonderful nugget, and this is I'll read what he wrote. He said, "I found the passage in All Star All Star Companion Volume Three that had to do with the possible secret origin story featuring the Earth Two Aquaman." In a sidebar, t- sidebar piece titled Print the Legend, written by Jean-Marc Lofficer, he writes, quote, One of Roy and my, which is, this is Mark, uh, Mark Wade speaking, collaborations that fell by the wayside as a direct result of crisis was a treatment for the secret origin title of the Earth to Aquaman. With Roy's approval and support, I had plotted a detailed origin and explained how hapless sailor Arthur Gordon Pym, from Edgar Allan Poe's eponymous narrative of, had stumbled into the Antarctic upon the remains of a lost city of the Dyson, an elder rage from Madame Blavatsky's influential century-old book, The Secret Doctrine. Mastering their science based on viril, a form of psychic energy from popular Victorian author Edward Berkwer's Lighton's 1871 novel, The Coming Race, good lord, I'm exhausted, Pym had built the Nautilus and become the science pirate known as Captain Nemo. Do I really need to source that one? And had even sunk the Titanic. Eventually, Pym's grandson, for reasons too complex to recount here, had become Aquaman. We were waiting for an artist to be signed to draw the story when the word came down that the Earth 2 Aquaman no longer existed and came and cameos and Ulster Squadron to the contrary, in fact, had never existed. Whom are we Woo! to believe? Why are you taking such a joy in this? I don't understand. That's very nasty. No, uh, I... I have complete <clears throat> support for the Golden Age Aquaman. Just the fact that he is the same as the Earth-1 Aquaman. He is not from Earth-2. Oh, my God. Anyway, I'm not done reading. Whom are we to believe? The word of a DC editor or our lying eyes? So that was the origin, the secret origin of that Aquaman, unjustly relegated to the dustbin of history. Thomas would later... <laughs> Will you let me finish? For the love of Pete, shut up for five goddamn seconds. Thomas... <laughs> God, man, man, next week, Bailey is back in. At least he knows when to shut up. Thomas would later rework this idea into the origin of Neptune Perkins in a storyline for young all-stars, period. There is an Earth 2 Aquaman. Doesn't matter what DC said. There was. The fact that they blighted him out of history doesn't mean he doesn't exist. There, done. 
I would say that no, that's not true. Oh Some writers planned to make him exist, but he never existed. Now, that whole thing, that was an incredibly complex origin that, in fact, when you're reading it, all I could think was like, God, this sounds like Young All-Stars. Because uh, that was a period of time where, while I enjoyed it, they really went, I think, too far with trying to do deep, deep continuity stuff. Like, uh, a lot of the Young All-Star stuff was really tied in with stuff like that, where they brought in, you know, now I love me Iron Monroe, but, you know, where they tied it into Gladiator, they really were trying to sew a fabric through every fiction of the 1930s, almost a League of Extraordinary Gentleman style, and, and bring it all into the DC heroes. Well, I think most people agreed with you, because that book didn't last. Some of it, I think, had to do with the art. So, okay. but uh, I, I I try to love that comic so much. Well, I just mean in general, people found Young All Stars obviously not as compelling because it lasted like two years when All Star Squadron lasted a lot longer. I mean, part of it was the crisis just completely screwed with all that stuff. So, well, but I mean, it was it was a bit impenetrable. Uh, Young yeah. All Stars was yeah. so, yeah. but anyway, like why why all that effort to create a different origin for the Earth Two Aquaman than? The, the Golden Age Aquaman's origin. Why couldn't you just use that where his dad was a scientist? Well, and... No, they were tying it in. They were saying that that would lead to – because they're, they're talking about that the guys would have the experimental uh, work on people, and that's what that's what the Earth 2 Aquaman's origin was. That's what the Golden okay. Age Aquaman origin was, was. His father experimented on him and taught him to breathe underwater and talk to fish, which was which is where he got that knowledge is from – they were backfilling this origin that they were going to do. So that's where we come Okay, from. so so it wasn't a contrary. It was uh, an expanding upon. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. all right. Well, you know, I do like me some work, Mark Wade. The guy who wrote that little piece, uh, I can't even say his name, and I think you butchered it anyway. Uh, he has a long pedigree with Doctor Who, too, so I'm, I'm a big fan of his. And then, um, so, I mean, it's I like the people involved. I just think they were smoking the wacky weed. So. <laughs> anyway, I don't know why you're so determined to, to, to die on this hill. There was an Earth 2 Aquaman. DC, no. decided, DC decided to get rid of him just like they did with Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Green Arrow, all that other stuff. So, you know, there you go. Anyway, people, you any of you listening, you can decide for yourself who you believe. I think it, There was clearly an Earth 2 Green Arrow, just not an Earth 2 Green Lantern. Green, Green Arrow, I meant to say. Green Arrow, yes. Which there was clearly an Earth 2 Green Arrow. Yes. He was part of the Secret Soldiers, or sorry, whatever they're called. Seven the, Soldiers, seven of, soldiers victory. of Victory. Yeah. 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 They met. Because, again, some, one of our listeners brought it up. When you look in the Justice League comics, they would always say, Earth 2, slightly different from Earth 1. He, you know, there's two Superman, or there's two Kal-El's, there's two Bruce Wayne's, there's two Diana Princes, but some are different. And they'd show Dr. Faye yes, and Aquaman's Aquaman, face. Yes. We know that. They're, they're different. Right. Then, then who is this other Aquaman? There is no other Aquaman. It's the, the same guy. It's Ooh. just if if you look at his. So why origins, does he have two different origins? Because they, they change everybody's origin every couple years. They didn't, trust me. No, they didn't. They didn't change Superman's origin. They changed Batman's origin. They changed Wonder yes, Woman's they, origin. No, they did. What are you talking about? Wonder Woman's origin has changed. Several, she's made from freaking clay now. Or now, no, now oh she's Zeus's God. daughter. Oh my. Okay. Oh. Superman's origin changed minutely every few Wait, years. He's the son of Krypton. What are you talking? What that the hell are that, you talking that, about? That part's the same, but like it would change whether he was an infant or a toddler and the show. Oh my ship, god! All that stuff. Oh, was are, he Did the Kents take him to an adoption agency, or did the Kents just are keep you him? Really they, they changed all. Are you this really stuff. saying to me that deciding whether Clark was an infant or when he was a toddler when he arrived, is the same as two completely separate Aquaman origins? You're saying those are the same thing? No. 
Well, then what are you talking about? Clearly, there's two different Aquamans. The fact that a couple of editors in the 70s said, oh, no, 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 we didn't. That's ridiculous. It's clear. They, they were trying to patch up this weird thing that they realized, oh, geez, we didn't really make right. accommodations for Aquaman. But there clearly was Era 2 Aquaman. Roy no, Thomas no. has him show up in the book. The fact that he only shows up for a day before he's obliterated doesn't make his existence any less substantial. He's there. Who are these people talking to? Who is that guy that the JSA is saying, hey, Aquaman, thanks for showing up? Who is that guy then? But the point I'm saying is he was created at that point. That doesn't he doesn't tie back with all the golden age adventures of Aquaman. It's it doesn't you can't do that. The golden age Aquaman is the same as the Silver Age Aquaman, which is the same as the modern age Aquaman. It's just his or you just accept that the stories happened a little differently. All right, all right, we got to end the show, people. <laughs> people, I want you to weigh in on this, and I am confident that I will. You know, it doesn't really matter because. It, it, Roy Thomas is the who's the ultimate authority on this, other than Roy Thomas. I mean, really, I mean, who else is there really to to make this decision, other than one of the guiding lights of comic bookdom superhero continuity? But I, you know, I I don't know why you're so obstinate on this point, but you are. I think you're just doing it to be argumentative because that's who you are, and you're mad at me because I dumped you from the show last week and replaced you with Michael Bay. <laughs> so I, I just think that's what it is. It is your immaturity is just coming through, and you're angry, and I understand that. So you know, God help, God help mercy on your children and your wife. Thanks for listening, folks. Fan <laughs> in the flame and ride the wave. <laughs> you can follow. You can follow our Tumblr, which is com, and you can send us an email about this very fun episode at firewater <laughs> firewater podcast at comcast.net and as shag said fan the flame and ride the wave we'll see you next week bye bye aquaman and firestorm fighting crime together soak them down or burn them up no one does it better whenever you find trouble they'll Torch their hair and stand for truth and justice and see on land and air. Firestorm and Aquaman, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah! Ever. Shut up and sit down, you big bald fuck.